Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Munkinass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a Sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Really enjoyed catching up with Mike Schilt. I look forward to it all week long, and I hope that he enjoys uh, kicking back and talking some ball and allowing. I know that's what he wanted to do was really do it for you. He started this on March 29th because he thought that that's what we would do during the regular season anyway. So let's talk some ball every Sunday and give people an hour or so of normalcy. And I've gotten a good response from fans that have achieved just that. More this hour with Matt Holiday right around the corner to talk about the 2011 season. John Jay, just before we get to the top of the hour at noon, we will have the Cardinals and the Phillies game three of the NLDS a replay of that with Chris Raby's pregame on the way straight up at noon. So don't go anywhere. We have Cardinal baseball for you this afternoon. It's a good day to fire up the grill and listen to some baseball. We have every postseason game from here on out. We actually started in the regular season when the Cardinals were ten and a half out and somehow made the playoffs. And now here they are after a tremendous game last night. They were down four nothing, came back, won the game five four. We'll see we'll see what they do today at Bush Stadium in front of what will be a raucous crowd, no doubt about it, as the team finally made the postseason after that great run through August and September to get there. The a couple of quick pieces of news and sports before we go to Matt Holiday after the break. Mizzou football gets two, not one, but two great pieces of news. One was that their tight end, Albert Okwebenam, it was uh, drafted in the fourth round. Albert O is a speedy tight end by NFL standards. He's going to be good, and he has a good quarterback who knows him well, Drew Locke. I think that's a smart move by the Broncos, a good tight end quarterback combo there in Denver, and will sway, I think, some Mizzou fans to root for the Broncos, but a lot of Mizzou fans are Chiefs fans, and they want nothing to do with the Broncos, so it makes it a little awkward. Little awkward, but that's okay. Uh, the other piece of news is that Taj Butts is now a member of Mizzou, or at least he is committed. He is a 2021 recruit. A lot of teams were after him. 5'11, 200 pound running back out of DeSmet. They kind of had a three 
running back attack there in their state championship season this year for the Spartans. But the DeSmet running back, Taj Butts, is now headed to the Mizzou program for 2021. So a good get by Eli Drinkowitz. He needs to do more of that, establish the St. Louis connection, and then start to pull in some recruits and get some NFL prospects going. You know, look at the NFL draft. I mean, it's all SEC. So if you want to compete in the SEC, you have to have NFL caliber uh, groomed players coming out of your program. And you have to show that you can make them into that. This is where we are today. And if the Tigers can continue to recruit, and I know they're being aggressive, this could be fun. But the SEC, man, it is tough, tough uh, sledding, no doubt about it. You've got to have a running back to move the chains. You can throw the ball all you want, but you have to establish the run in this league. And I'd like to see what the young man out of DeSmet can do. We'll take a break. When we come back, it is Matt Holiday. He was a good football player. Basketball, baseball, probably do anything he wants. Probably still can. We'll hear from him. He's a big member of that 2011 World Championship team with Chris Raby. I'm Tom Ackerman, sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Lindbergh. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. It's 1113. I'm Tom Ackerman. Let's turn things over to Chris Raby, who chatted with Matt Holiday about a number of subjects, including the 2011 World Champions. We've been playing a game for you every single day. Here's part of the interview, Chris Raby and Matt Holiday. I think if you look at, at baseball, maybe particularly, but in sports in general, like if you start playing back championship seasons, a lot of times, like you said, there's there's calls or small things or little plays or plays that seem insignificant at the time or, or maybe, and then they all add up to, well, what if that would have happened? If that would have happened, we wouldn't even have been here. They, you know, you can play that game, and it really is fascinating when you think about uh, a season like that where you get in by the skin of your teeth where if one game goes, you know, one way or you lose to the wrong team that affects uh, the pennant race in a, in, a, in a more substantial way that you, you don't even make it into a, a postseason where you end up winning the World Series. So it's always fun to go back and look at, at the way things shook out. Uh, even for me, I, I did an interview with Spielborgs, uh, Ryan Spielborgs today talking about the 2007 Rocky season where, uh, you know, we win 21 out of 22 and we had to have a lot of help just to get into the game 163, uh, you know, just to get a chance to try to make the playoffs. So um, it, it, it's a fascinating uh, when you play that many games over a long season and then you get to the end of it and you look back at all the, the twists and turns and possibilities of this or that, even if you don't make the playoffs, I think that's when you really kick yourself and say, man, think about those two games or those three games that we lost in the ninth inning or, uh, you know, where, where something could have happened differently and we win those games and we would make it to the playoffs and we didn't even, you know, we didn't get in. Uh, you can, it's, it's crazy when you play that long of a season, how many times you can go back and, and either a uh, think about how it worked in your favor or B how, man, it didn't, it didn't work in our favor and that cost us. And so it's, it's pretty fascinating to look at. So what stands out about the first couple of months is you guys would have good stretches. You dealt, obviously, with some injuries on the team, and you guys are just kind of hanging around. At one point, the beginning of August, you were three games back in the division, but it just seemed like, for whatever reason, um, you couldn't really put those couple of weeks together. I guess, again, that's baseball, but, but what stands out about maybe the first two-thirds or the first three-quarters of that season? You know, I, I think for me, like, and remembering back, I, I think – 
as a group and, and me specifically, I always thought, man, this is a super talented team. And if we could ever just kind of put it together, we had a lot of great pieces. And then there'd be times when our, our, our lineup would be doing really well, but the rotation would, would go through a slump. And then it almost seemed like the rotation would be doing really well. And we'd have a hard time scoring runs or, you know, we'd have a time where the bullpen was dominant. And then we'd have a time where the bullpen was, was maybe giving up some leads late in the games that was costing us. And we just couldn't, we couldn't get all three phases sort of on the same page at the same time. And uh, that can happen in baseball, which is weird when you have a collection of talented guys and for whatever reason, you can't line them up. And, and we were having a hard time lining up any winning streaks with a very talented team that was seemingly uh, a playoff caliber team and, and a team that, that had pretty much anything you could, you could ask for when it, when it came to, uh, what you would need to, to get into the playoffs. And, and I think, you know, part of that might have been, you know, if we'd have had Wayno and, and not having your ace or, you know, 1A, 1B with, with Ian Karp, um, you, you're able to fight through some of those things a little easier when you've got, you know, two horses like that. Um, but without him and, and we were just – we were trying to scrap and, and we just had a hard time, I think, the first couple months of really being able to put any kind of streaks together. What did some of the additions mean? Obviously, at the beginning of the year, you guys add someone like Lance Berkman. Then there are some big deals made around the deadline to pick up the bullpen pieces, to pick up for call, to pick up Edwin Jackson. Uh, what was it like to mix those guys in and to mix some of those veterans in for the last couple of months, and in Berkman's case, the entire year? Well, I, I think, first of all, we start with Lance, uh, you know, coming into spring training. When you add uh, the caliber of player and person and leader and, and clubhouse presence that you add immediately. Uh, you know, he, he adds so much that, that, that that was something that was really exciting. I think, uh, you know, as a team, when you go out and sign a player like Lance Berkman, uh, you immediately get a boost and an emotional boost and you head into spring training beaming with confidence on the season and, and, you know, just having his presence and just listening to his stories and spring training was so enjoyable right up until the time when, when you get the announcement that, that Wayno's got to have Tommy John surgery and you're going to be without him. And, uh, you, you know, that kind of takes a big dip in your, in your excitement and your confidence. Uh, but I thought Tony did a really good job of, of, of encouraging us that we were still good. We still could have a special season. There still could be things to be done uh, that would make that a memorable season. And so you turn away from that. And then, like you said, you had, you had guys like, uh, for call and, and, and some of those trades, Edwin Jackson and, and some bullpen guys. And um, I think when you're, a, when you're hanging in there and the front office adds pieces, there becomes this confidence uh, that they have confidence in you, um, that they still think the season can be salvaged, uh, that, that, that you get this, this kind of burst of excitement and energy with new players coming in. Uh, they were the right players. They were, uh, the right kind of guys. They brought really good energy. They brought really good excitement uh, to the team. Uh, it was just a really good fit, uh, I thought, and, and all those moves um, sort of added up to uh, a really good chemistry, uh, a really good kind of what we needed to, to help kind of springboard us and, and take the next step and, and, and give us everything we needed to win a World Series. How do you as an athlete, Matt, and as a veteran – you guys had been in a lot of playoff races, and you kind of know what it takes in Major League Baseball to make a postseason, how tough it is, right? So as you all gather together at the end of August and the message is, we can still do this, let's take it day by day, you know, that's, that's great to say, but what kind of group do you need for guys to actually buy into that? Because 
again, there were some there were some gut wrenching losses in September when you guys had it rolling, where it would have been easy to just kind of roll over. So, so what kind of group and what kind of leadership does it take to actually believe that that was possible when mathematically it didn't seem like it was? Yeah, I think it's it's the group as as a whole. Like you got to have uh, the whole team's got to buy in, and I think you can have two or three guys that that can can say it and and live it and do it. Um, but that's not enough in baseball. You know, you got to have a, a whole group. You got to have, you got to use 25 guys in baseball, especially when you get into the August and September months where it's hot. Uh, you've played a long season. Guys are banged up. Guys are beat up. Um, it takes everybody to really buy in, and it's hard in anything in sports and life to get 25 guys to really believe the same thing and to to live it, to take it home with them, uh, to do everything they can to recover. Uh, to, to take everything they can to go out on the field and, and emotionally and, and 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 mentally be checked in every night in a long season, it's hard to get 25 guys to do that, especially when you're, you have adversity, uh, your back's against the wall. Uh, you It doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look great um, for guys to still believe, like you said, to still have some losses in, in September that seem to be huge punches to the gut uh, to still bounce back the next day emotionally and mentally and bring your A game, uh, I think it's very difficult. And in pro sports, uh, for guys to have that belief and to not really read the paper or read the, the skeptics that say, oh, man, they're done, and and for guys to really kind of block out everything uh, and then really focus on the next game, uh, I think is, is hard, especially nowadays, and, and maybe not as much in 2011 as now, but with all that, there was still social media. There was still uh, plenty to plenty of place that places to find uh, discouraging, uh, you know, sort of thoughts about our team. And, and Tony, I think that was one of the, the great qualities of him as a manager was he just refused to let uh, outside voices have any impact effect on him or our team, and, and just would battle and fight that and 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 talk about that as much as he could. There was social media because. Even guys that you were playing against were chirping about you guys. Nigel Morgan was tweeting about you guys and talking about you guys in the media. That turned into a heck of a rivalry over August and September with the Brewers and into the postseason with, you know, some of the stuff that happened is, and I've asked everyone that I've talked to this, is bulletin board material a thing, Matt? And when guys that you're playing against, guys that you're competing against are the ones doing the chirping, how can that affect the yes. group or, how, or how, how can that motivate a sleeping dog maybe no doubt i mean that's that's things you know especially in august and september when you if you need if you come in one day and you're not you know you're not feeling your greatest or you you don't feel great or your your energy level is low and and it gets the blood boiling i mean it really does it's competition especially when it's guys that you get a chance to go out on the field and settle it with uh it's it it, it can help and i think uh i think it, it, it it is like you said, sleeping dogs. Sometimes it's better to just let them sleep, and sometimes uh, you start chirping or running your mouth. Uh, and and competitive guys, man, they they can feed off that and they can use it. And uh, it there's nothing better uh, than than making making people eat their words, and, and especially like I said, when it's when it's a players on the other team or or an organization or whoever, uh, when you get a chance to go out there and and uh, and beat them. It's it's all the more gratifying. You know, Skip told me, and I'm looking at my big calendar right now, uh, after this Atlanta series, you guys 
uh, are in Pittsburgh. Then you go to Philly. And it was a huge series against Philly. You guys won three of four uh, against all their horses. And he said that Nick Punto, I think, was close to Ruben Amaro Jr. And Ruben told him during BP, hey, this is awesome. You guys just keep winning. And if you somehow get in, then, you know, we'd much rather see you guys than Milwaukee. He said Punto came back to the clubhouse and was like, listen to this. Like, it, it seemed like you guys are kind of getting it from everywhere. And I guess people didn't realize if you had looked at the calendar, you guys were for five weeks the hottest team in baseball. It wasn't just like a one-week yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, there, there, that, that team was super talented. I mean, if you just go down the list, I mean, there's – there's plenty of, of really really good players. Uh, I, for somebody to say that they didn't they they would rather play us, uh, like you said, five weeks the hottest team um, with you know a guy like Chris Carpenter toeing the rubber on game one. I I can't imagine that that that's a very good idea, and it proved proved to be uh, as much. So um, yeah, we we had plenty of motivation, we had plenty of doubters, plenty of haters, uh, but we also had a lot of competitors in that clubhouse and a lot of chemistry and guys that, that really uh, grinders um you know skip and, and nick came up with a lot of big hits big plays but they the behind the scenes uh what they provided a lot of the of our role players and, and how much they provided as far as keeping the guys loose uh keeping the clubhouse fun um just tons of stories from that year really really funny group of guys that that makes it easier to come to the yard every day when you're grinding and you got you know, you got guys keeping it loose and and uh, and, and and knowing their roles so well. Uh, it was just a lot of fun to be around, and and when you're playing well and having fun, and it's a it's a hard vibe to stop. So Wainwright told me that um, out of everything he's achieved and everything you guys, a lot of it achieved together in your careers, he said probably his favorite memory and his favorite hands down celebration was sitting in Houston after the last game of the season. You guys won, carved through another complete game, like a two-hour game. Yeah. And you guys are sitting in the clubhouse, sitting in the food room, watching the Braves, figuring out if you're going to have to go play a one-game playoff or if you're in, the Braves lose. And then he said it was just pandemonium. What do you remember about watching the end of that game and what happened when I think it was Freddie Freeman grounded into a double play? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's always – more difficult i think watching something that you have absolutely no control of that has that kind of impact on you because you just know there's nothing you can do you're basically at the mercy of of how these two teams play it out and I, if i remember correctly there it was kind of a back and forth game and 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 didn't look good and then it got better and uh you'd have to refresh my memory on, on exactly what happened but uh it's a uh, it's one of those things where you know it's your the emotion of it and the excitement that happens when uh, you get in, and uh, and and like you said, we were all sitting around, and and there's that double play, and you know, it's just it's just kind of a feeling that you can't really find anywhere else, or a scenario that you can't really draw up in life uh, where that's that kind of thing happens. But it was an exciting time, and and we were super happy that we didn't have to go play any more, you know, playing games or whatever that we were in. Yeah, so they lost four three in thirteen innings, and. Philly was down three to one. Philly scored in the seventh. They scored in the top of the ninth. And then, yeah, there were a couple jams, but Philly ends up uh, scoring in the 13th inning. So you guys were probably sitting around watching that one for a while. Yeah, we. I remember because it was just, you know, the, the Astro clubhouse, you, you don't really know how to react. You know, you don't know, 
kind of waiting to figure out how to celebrate or not celebrate or what to do. And, and uh, we have to like get dressed and get on a plane. Yeah. Guys hour. are just hanging out in their uniforms because if we do get in, you don't want to be spilling beer and champagne all over your nice clothes. And so everybody's just kind of wearing their baseball stuff, just sitting around eating, nervous eating, probably drinking coffee, probably, you know, just, uh, moving spots. You know, you get tired of sitting in one spot. So you move to another and just kind of waiting for it all to unfold. Let's talk uh, a little bit about a couple of the postseason moments, Matt. And I, I appreciate you giving us all this time today. It's been awesome. Um, in the NLDS, you guys get in against Philly. And, again, something that fans, as they look back a decade later, may not not forget but may overlook is the fact that you guys are on the road in game two, down 4 nothing to Cliff Lee in the top of the third inning, right? Like, it could have been bad. And if you go down 2-0 in the series, who knows what happens. But um, something that Tyler Green said is, like, I don't care if anyone believes this or not, we truly thought every game we were going to win that game. How do you have that belief in a best-of-five series when you're down against a guy who had been one of the best in the league that year, 4 nothing on the road, third inning? And I'm sure it would have been easy for the thoughts to creep in. Everything we've been working for this entire year, these last five weeks, it could all be over in three days if we don't turn this around. You know, I just think at that point we had we had been through so much and the vibe that's been created uh, in the dugout, I really thought, you know, I think at that point in, in, in Tyler's opinion and, and most of our, I'm sure all of our opinions, is that um, we had come so far and, and been through so much that we were going to find a way to win. And it, who knows what it would look like, you know, even if it came down to the last innings. If um, There was just something about that team that, that we felt like that every game uh, that we were going to find a way to win, do something um, that, that, you know, I, I just think there was that belief that we created um, with the chemistry and, and all the guys. Um, we had just found a way to believe certain things the last six weeks of that season uh, that maybe didn't make sense. And, and so every game you, you just kept plugging away. And I think that Tony did a really good job of, of making guys concentrate and just, like I said, out to out and just keep plugging away. Matt Holiday and the 2011 Cardinals, thanks to Chris Raby for that interview. We'll hear John Jay's thoughts on the 2011 team with Game 3 of the NLDS coming up at noon right here on KMOX from 2011. But it's 11.30, and that means we talk to Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mosellock. He'll be with us on Sports on a Sunday Morning. I'm Tom Ackerman. That is next. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburgh on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. It's always great to talk on Sunday with the president of baseball operations, John Mosellock of the 11-time world champion St. Louis Cardinals. And before we talk a little business, we have been replaying those 2011 games, Mo. And where we've landed today is game three of the NLDS. At noon today, we will play back after the Cardinals had a remarkable comeback last night. Game two against the Phillies. They're down four to nothing John Jay delivers after Terrio did an RBI single. The Cardinals end up tying the game. Jay again later in the game, and then Albert untied it 5-4, and then the bullpen locked it down. Dotel and Rhodes and so many others. I mean, it really showed again what an effort this team did from top to bottom. So it's obviously uh, probably one of the best five-game series you'll ever watch. 
um, obviously capped off by that game five. But, um, you know, as you, as you replay 11, it just brings back so many, you know, just great memories. And uh, I was actually doing something with uh, one of your colleagues a few days ago, just talking through 2011. And, um, you know, I tried never to just officially unpack it yet because I kind of want to do that when my career's over. But, um, you know, we are getting teased a little bit during these unique times. And, um, you know, I think back to just sort of all the different things that happened that year and what ended up being just a fantastic season. So it's really uh, fun to think back and hopefully your listeners are enjoying the same ride we are. Yeah, it really is incredible. And then Chris Carpenter closes it down in game five up ahead in that game. Just to circle on your calendars, folks, will air on Tuesday night. Monday through Friday, we air these games at 6.15, Saturday at 6, Sunday at noon. John Moselock, uh, we don't know when baseball will come back, but the one thing you told us, and Mike Schilt has also indicated this this past week or so, is that at least you're hearing positive things. And while there are no specifics right now, unless you have something you can tell us, I, I just know that... That feeling of optimism, while we don't want to lead people down a path of false optimism, but the feeling of optimism certainly is good. I mean, that knowing that there's a lot of time to go. Yeah, I think that last statement is, is probably the most important is time's on our side right now. And, you know, obviously having a what we perceive as a normal year, that's probably highly unlikely. But, you know, coming up with something that, that might work is is you know, something that everybody is, is trying to pull together. And I think the commissioner is, is someone that, that wants to see baseball this year. I think you have a lot of government officials that are hopeful sports can get back on people's calendars. And, you know, clearly if, if we had some reason for hope or, or given a reason for hope, you know, this, the game of baseball has, has done that throughout history. And so, you know, I think everybody involved, um, that I work with is, is certainly hoping that we can come up with some strategy or plan that, that, that's safe, makes sense, but can entertain. Everything has changed. So no matter what baseball looks like, and as long as it's safe, I think if you're playing in front of no fans or a schedule that's shortened or in different locations than we're used to, or whatever the case may be, 2020 itself is different. And we'll look back if this does happen, that baseball and other sports did attempt to, give people some entertainment. I, that's the way I look at it anyway. Yeah, that's what you hope for. Um, you know, clearly uh, it's our business, and, and like many people's businesses, they are not um, working the normal pace or, or, or anything close to normal at this point. Yeah. Um, so for, for, for us, you know, that we had a lot invested in, you know, what we thought this season was going to look like, and, of course, you know, second week of, of March, that, that all changed. And now – we're trying to adapt and really sort of focus on what we might see and what that might look like. And, you know, I know players who I try to connect with every week at some level, I know they're hoping and, 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 you know, trying to, to maintain some level of fitness that, so when we do get that opportunity to maybe play, they're ready, they're prepared. And it's tough because we don't know when that finish line may happen. So the goalposts kind of seem to be moving on us a little bit, but it's still something I think that that everybody understands that if we can get baseball going, um, I think the fans, I think the public in general will be happy to be able to tune something in that's, that's, that's fresh and live. And I know that a lot of them are holding tickets right now. So to your customers, I guess you would 
uh, ask for some patience until you get an official policy on that? Yeah, and I think the, the Cardinals, we're, we are waiting for some guidelines from Major League Baseball on that. Um, we don't want to be first movers and then 29 other teams get upset with us. So we're, we're trying to understand, like, what's the best way to do this and, and handle it in a way that, that is, is fair and equitable and also the other 29 other teams are, are in agreement. So that that's somewhat of, of why there's a little delay in this, but clearly, um, you know, this organization likes to do the right thing, and hopefully we do the right thing. In the meantime, you made the announcement in, speaking of that, paying your employees uh, through May 31st. Uh, what went into that, and what has been the response to that? As um, You have so many people that work at your ballpark and elsewhere. Well, obviously, uh, these are tough times, and, and so when you don't have revenue truly coming in, it, it's tough to maintain your business, but you know, the DeWitts really felt like it was important to to keep our, our group together. And um, so right now we know all our employees will be paid through May 31st. And look, when we get to starting to have to focus on, on June, which is coming fast, um, you know, then there's, there might be some other things that we may have to consider. But, you know, right now it's, it's been a positive and, and hopefully um, we can figure out a way that, that, keeps that for all our employees because, you know, a lot of these are young people that are just starting out in their careers, and, and uh, we certainly want to do what's right if we can. Well, we appreciate the information, as always, the visit on these Sundays. Have a great rest of your day. Beautiful day today. Beautiful day here in St. Louis. Enjoy it, and thank you for the visit. And it's always, I think, good for people just to hear us talking a little bit, as we did with Mike Schilt last hour. So we appreciate these visits very much. Well, Tommy, thank you, and uh, enjoy the day. You too. There is John Mosellock, the president of Baseball Operations. I'm Tom Ackerman. We have much more to come on Sports on a Sunday Morning Cardinal Baseball at noon on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday Morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Well, I mentioned at the start of the show what a game John Jay had yesterday. And this was... uh, one of my favorite parts of the game, actually. So the Cardinals are down in this game to the Phillies, four to nothing. This is game two of the NLDS. And Jay delivers an RBI single after Ryan Terrio doubled to make it four to one. Jay makes it four to two. And then for Call. Second and third, two outs, the pitch. Swing and a line drive, base hit the left center. That scores one. Here comes Jay. Here comes the throw, the slide, and Jay is out at the plate. Ibanez throws Jay out. Ruiz took a pretty good shot from Jay, but managed to hang on to the ball. And that saves the Philadelphia lead, but the Cardinals scored three. No, they're not booing there. They're saying chooch. That's the catcher, Ruiz. After Ibanez throws out Jay, and you know as Jay's walking back to the dugout, yeah, Jay, yeah, you know you can't, you're not around here, buddy. This is Philly. You know, they're all over Jay. I mean, just heckling him like crazy. You know that's going on. And John Jay just kind of goes back in the dugout, puts, I'm sure, put not happy about it, but puts his batting helmet back and, you know, plays his position. He comes out in the sixth inning, 4-3 game. Here he is. The pitch start. Swing and a ground ball, base hit the left field. Here comes Terrio. Here comes the throw. He is safe, and this game is tied. And into second base goes Jay. It's 4-4. 
A big two-out base hit by John Jay, his second RBI base hit of the night. <laughs> he just keeps coming at you, man. Doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm in Philadelphia. I don't care where we're playing. Well, I'm going to deliver an RBI, and then he ties the game, and Pools has the game-winning RBI, and the seventh Cardinals win it 5-4. to four. Here's Chris Raby with John Jay. You know, I've been lucky to, you know, still be playing now, and, you know, a lot of the, the qualities that, that I've, you know, used now and that I've done are, are from that team. You know, uh, Skip Schumacher was somebody that was, that was huge for me personally, you know, behind the scenes, just always helping out. And, you know, there's not a – you can't quantify, you know, what these type of guys do to to a team. And, you know, the Chris Carpenters, the Albert Pujols, and, you know, just pulling, you know, guys aside or just, you know, nipping stuff at the bow when you need to and and really just having a grasp of what's going on going on inside the clubhouse. And that, that's huge. I think that's something that um, – you know, I think in all sports, it's, it's something that you can't you can't measure, and the, the beauty of it is it all goes on behind the scenes, where you can really tell those teams in, in October, the teams that are together, and you kind of get that feeling of hey, you know, behind the scenes, this must be a pretty cool thing to hang out with there, just to see the guys interact, and that's exactly how our 2011 team was. We had the perfect mix of, of veterans, young guys, uh, you know, just a little bit of everything, and you know, I think if you, if you look down the lineup, up and down. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really, really good guys, you know, and now that's the thing that really sticks out to me and, you know, guys that were in it for the right reasons. And that's why we were able to, you know, save here today and say we're world champions, you know, because those guys that were, that were selfless, the guys that were willing to help no matter what. I mean, Skip Schumacher's a guy that, you know, kind of had every single role as a Cardinal where he's a starter, not a starter, starter game, didn't start game. I mean, he, he did it all, but he was always the first guy to, to be offering advice or to help because he knew the big picture. And those are the type of guys behind that team. What about Tony and the way he was able to lead you guys, the way he was able to let the leaders in the clubhouse do their thing? What about that lended itself to what you guys were able to do, do you think? Yeah, Tony definitely, um, you know, we, we all knew as young guys that, um, you know, obviously Tony was the boss, but we all we always knew that, you know, the Carps and, and the Pools and Matt Holiday and Yadi and, and Skip and, and Wainwright and those guys are, you know, those were the voice, you know, and those were the guys that, uh, and Tony did a great job of letting those guys have their voice, you know, they didn't have to, to worry and say, well, can I say something and maybe Tony's not going to like it or, or whatnot. Tony had full trust in those guys, and then that's how we, how we kind of ran everything. And, um, you know, if anything didn't get handled, it got handled right away, which was awesome, and, you know, that was the way I came up, and, and I still appreciate that to this day. What do you remember about the way the schedule was laid out for you guys? Because you start to win some games, and all of a sudden, here you are with opportunities against the teams that you're chasing, both Milwaukee and Atlanta. You also had a feisty Cincinnati team that wanted nothing more than than to beat you guys. So the fact that almost every game was like not just mathematically must win, but you know you were playing the teams that you were chasing. What did that do for you guys? Yeah, I mean that's, that's the beauty of September baseball. I've, I, um, you know, it's the funnest time of the year. You get to play uh, in division games that that mean everything, and you know everything can swing so quickly. Like you said, you know you can. You could sweep a team and then, you know, gain a three-game three, three game advantage on them or, or whatnot. So, you know, those games are so important, and, and to, to be able to play all, all those in-game in, in divisions at the end was, was big for us. You know, I read Carp uh, last week. We, we had Carp on. I read him Niger Morgan's tweet after <laughs> the bench-clearing brawl when he said something to the effect of, you know, have fun watching us in the playoffs. It's another thing that we hear all the time in the media or, or fans here like bulletin board material, not that you guys needed any extra motivation, but uh, I'm sure you hear that kind of stuff. What did that do, and uh, what was that rivalry like in, in both the month of September and also into the postseason, John? Yeah, that was that was big. I mean, obviously Milwaukee had an unbelievable year that year, and they uh, you know ran away with the division, and 
you know, they had a great team, but that, that was something that irked us. And, you know, when he said that, that, that didn't fit well with us. And that's definitely something we remembered uh, going into it. But, you know, if you look at those Milwaukee teams, I mean, they had some great players, some great lineups. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, in those times and even with Cincinnati, obviously the year before we had a, a bench screen with them, there was just a lot of hostility going on. And there was, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth going on. So, you know, to um, to hear that from that team in particular was uh, was definitely motivating for us. You know, Skip told me a story too. Nick Punto being close to some of the guys in the Phillies, and when you guys went to Philly in the middle of September and won three or four, Ruben Amaro Jr. came up during BP and said, "You know, the best thing for us would be if you guys, you know, catch the Braves. We'd love to see you guys in the first round. Like these teams don't learn, man. They don't learn not to kick a, you know, wake a sleeping dog because you kind of were a sleeping dog at that point. You guys are still kind of uh, on the outside looking in. Yeah, and that, that, I think that's something that uh, you know you got to look at Tony. And Tony did a great job of you know putting everything on him and, and deflecting everything on him and letting us go out there and, and play baseball and just kind of doing that thing. And that was always our you know kind of our motto was hey, you guys go out there in the field, do what you got to do, and I'm going to take care of everything else. And you know he stuck to that. But I remember that, that that series in Philly in particular at the end of the year where. That's kind of where, I mean, I, I, we got a lot of confidence out of that series. I know myself in particular, you know, talking with the younger guys was like, you know, wow, we just, you know, we just went, beat the series in Philly against, you know, the, the best team arguably in the National League and with the rotation and all that. And obviously we saw them after, but at that point, that was a big confidence booster for us, uh, you know, going into the playoffs for sure. When was the point where you felt like, not like we have a chance, but like we are going to, you know, make the postseason? Because there seemed to be just a feeling that you guys just knew every game, you were in every game, and you expected to win every game. And you can't fake that, John. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we obviously, we obviously had a ton of confidence in, in ourselves and our team, and, and I think we showed that at the end the way we played. But obviously we, a lot of things had to happen in our favor, and then they did. So I remember uh, that last game in Houston, you know, carved through a gym. I think it was an hour, 45-minute game or something like that. And we had to wait, you know, a bunch of hours in, in the clubhouse to, uh, you know, watching that Atlanta game and, you know, that's, uh, I think, um, you know, I think that's when we knew we were going to the playoffs because it, it happened mathematically. But I think we had all the confidence in ourselves, but we just knew that other things had to happen. And we just we just said, hey, this just give us a chance to get into the playoffs because we knew, you know, the type of team that we had. And uh, obviously it showed, but, you know, we just we were just looking for a chance. And we really didn't, you know, know that until that, you know, couple hours after our regular season was over. It was really like eight, nine, ten different seasons within a season, right? And, you know, talking to Wayno last week, he said that, with everything he's done and with all the winning you guys did together and, you know, World Series championships and uh, postseason wins, he said that the most memorable and most meaningful celebration he's ever been a part of easily was in Houston the last day of the regular season where Carp pitched a shutout, you guys won, and then you were all sitting in the clubhouse and in the food room and in your uniform still watching the Braves. They lose. You know you're in. You don't need to play a playing game. What do you remember about those couple of hours after Carp was nice and efficient watching the end of that Braves game? Yeah, I mean that was, it was a ton of fun. I remember just sitting there with the whole team, like you said, just you know every every pitch, and we were just so into to that game. And I don't I don't think I've been into a game, uh, uh, you know, wanting to see the results since, since that game. You know, uh, in my whole career, just knowing that everything was in the line and just and watching, you know, be helplessly knowing that we had nothing we can do. We did what we had to do that day, and and just watching and. Uh, I'll never forget that feeling of, of, of watching that, that last uh, – I think it was, it was a double play. Um, uh, and just celebrating with our teammates, like you said, just running around the room and just, 
you know, kind of looking at each other like, wow, what just happened here? Like, we just, you know, we put our heads down from all September and just didn't look up. And then we finally looked up and was like, oh, my goodness, we're in the playoffs. And I just remember us running around and, and uh, celebrating together. And that was, it was, you know, one of my most memorable moments. And obviously it was the first time I got this pop champagne and, and get that feeling. So uh, something I'll never forget. Yeah, I wonder if, like, uh the Houston clubbies are like waiting outside in the hallway with the champagne. I imagine, you know, they're not going to bring that in early before anything is, is clinched. I can't imagine catching Carp's eye rolling that uh, card in early. Yeah. There's a couple of guys in that team that you wouldn't want to catch your eye with that, but Carp is definitely the one that uh, I, I wouldn't have wanted to see what would happen there. But, um, you know, it was, um, it all worked out that day. And it was, like I said, it was one of the, my most memorable days as a, as a player. I think about Game 2, Philadelphia series. You had the big play at the plate. You know, to be down 4 nothing, down 1-0 in the series, you spark the team. You guys come back, beat Cliff Lee after Carp only gets through three innings. What did that game do? And, and is that kind of a moment in, in a game that, you know, with all of the other excitement, gets a little bit swept under the rug? Yeah, I think when you look back at a you know, at a World Series run and you look at every playoff game, there's going to be some very memorable games. And, you know, obviously you're going to look and say, well, if we didn't win this game, then that wouldn't happen. But I think that game two was definitely the one where, you know, we're down one nothing in Philly. And, uh, you know, Cliff Lee, obviously one of the top arms in the league at the time there, at the Cy Young Award winner. And, you know, to be able to, for us to come back and just inch away. And I remember it was just, you know, single after single. It wasn't like we, we didn't hit a big home runner in the last just those single after single after single, just getting eyes on base, moving base. I remember, you know, uh, taking a, maybe taking second on a ball, an overthrown ball. So just doing little things that, that you know, aren't going to show up in the box score, moving up that extra 90 feet and, you know, coming out with that big victory that day was, was big for us. You know, they're just all these little moments, John, like that you said, and it could be a moment in the postseason, but the beauty of baseball, right, is like it could be a moment like that in July that could determine whether or not you guys would have even been in Philadelphia that night, right? Exactly, and that's, and that's the thing that's so special about 2011 where, you know, you, know, you look at the, the roster and how everyone can – you can sit back and, and look at every single player on the team and say, hey, I remember when you did this in this game and that got us to this. And that's, you know, that's what makes it so special about the, that World Series where, you know, we're, we're truly together. It truly took every single person on the roster to get to the – you know, to the point that we got to. And, um, you know, that's where you look back and you, and you look around and you, you know, you're so grateful for those memories, those friendships, and, you know, just the way everything came together. Great stuff there with John Jay, with Chris Raby, leading you into today's game, the Cardinals and the Phillies. Game three, the series moves to Bush Stadium. Note in this game the level of crowd noise. They are amped up in this game. The Cardinals, the last time they had seen them, they had just finished the regular season. We're going to Houston to see if they could make it. The Braves collapsed. The Cardinals got it done, and they come back to Bush Stadium for that first postseason game. It is awesome, and it is next on KMOX. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.